Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Tales from the Synapse, a podcast brought to you by Nature Careers in partnership with Nature Neuroscience. I'm Jean-Marie Zarate, a senior editor at the journal Nature Neuroscience, and in this series, we speak to brain scientists all over the world about their life, their research, their collaborations, and the impact of their work. In episode 5, we meet a researcher devoted to understanding the complexities of vision and how to bring eyesight back to the blind. So, my name is Pieter Rolfsema, I'm the director of the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience in Amsterdam. And I'm also a professor at the Amsterdam University Medical Hospital and at the Free University of Amsterdam. Um, I study the visual brain since many years and I always wanted to know what happens if you really start to understand what you see and that's far from trivial because actually what you see is just many items, many small image elements that fall on your retina but then you have to kind of group that together into a representation of objects and the several objects that may surround you and that's a very fascinating uh, subject. So I've, I've started that for, for many years. And in the last couple of years, we found ourselves uh, implanting increasing number of electrodes. And electrodes is just another word for wires into the brain of, uh, of experimental animals. And at some point we realized we are at such a high number, hundreds. Let's ramp it up a little bit. So we went to 1000 with the idea of, of stimulating those electrodes and then creating artificial vision. So 
So I think we have several goals. First is really to understand how vision works. And one of the topics that I'm particularly interested in is attention. So of all the things that surround you, you can pay attention, pick out one of those items. What happens in the brain when you direct your attention to something? And another thing is what happens if something enters into your conscious awareness? That's another very uh, exciting question. So some things make it into your awareness and some, some don't. So we are also studying that. And uh, one of the more applied goals of the lab is to create a visual prosthesis, a visual brain prosthesis. So people who lost the function in their eyes, the idea would be just to skip those malfunctioning eyes and to plug in the visual information from a camera at, at one of the central centers, so centers for vision in the brain. So we uh, approach that from several angles. So one is to do modeling. Uh, second is to study vision in humans, just having them respond uh, with, uh, with, say, a button press, understanding what they can and cannot see. But we also look at the brain mechanisms in experimental animals. So we look in mice and also we look in monkeys. So I, I started to become interested in the brain after reading a book by Doc Hofstetter. It's a, I think it's a famous book. It's called Gödel Escherbach. It was very famous when I was starting to study in the 80s. And it, I, it was a gift from my father. And when I read it, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to study consciousness. So, And then uh, I actually started to do some projects just in my hobby time, first on snails, then on, on rodents. And at some point I realized I want to study this in an animal that is closer to humans. And I would really understand what happens in the brain when we become consciously aware of something. So we, in, in my lab, studying cognition and uh, the role of attention and how uh, it's modulating the activity in the visual brain, we started to implant increasingly numbers of electrodes. So electrodes are just wires. And uh, so at some point we reached a standard preparation where we implant, say, 200 electrodes. And then we thought, you know, we could multiply this with a small factor. And then if you, we know that uh, from, from previous work, that if you stimulate one electrode electrically, you're artificially activating these brain cells close to the tip of the electrode. And uh, a, a person or, or, or an experimental animal can even be a person who has been blind for more than 10 years. will see a dot of light. And uh, that's with only one electrode. So if you have 100 or 1000 electrodes, you can create 1000 of these dots of lights. We call them phosphenes. And since the, the region, the visual cortex, where we implant these electrodes have a map of space, there where you stimulate in the map, the, the subject sees at the same location in the outside visual world, uh, this dot of light. So if you have 1000, you can, you can basically work with them like a matrix board that you know from the stadium or from the highway. So if you, of course, if you flash up one bulb, person is going to see, well, a dot of light but you can create patterns. And that's what we set out to do. So we're basically writing to this uh, matrix board that is in the, in the brain. 
and uh, and see whether the animals are able to recognize then uh, these 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 things that we write uh, as patterns. And then we found indeed that this is the case. So we were able to write, for instance, we trained we did this in monkeys. We trained them to recognize letters, and uh, and so they knew that if they saw letter A, they would have to make an eye movement. Uh, to the above, if they saw the letter B, to the left, and so on and so forth. And at some point we trained them visually so these animals were not blind, they couldn't just see. But at some point we took the visual stimulus away and we just wrote directly the letter A to the brain. And we were very excited to find that they were indeed making the same response as when we would have presented the same letter visually. We published that in, uh, in 2020, so one and a half years ago, about. So in our team, we need a lot of different expertise. And some of those types of expertise are within our own team. So we are knowledgeable about how to put uh, wires, electrodes in the brain. But we also have many collaborations with experts around the world, people who really know about how to make these electrodes so that they don't damage the, the brain tissue too much. We work with people in artificial intelligence who help us to take out camera to take camera images and translate them into brain stimulation patterns. We also collaborate with neurosurgeons who can inform us how to really make this device and make it something that is going to be feasible for a neurosurgeon to really implant in the brain. Because that is definitely a very uh, important goal for me to bring this to a patient. So the, the visual prosthesis will be composed of several components. The first is a camera. It can be just a camera that you buy. So there are now several companies that make these, these glasses that contain a camera. And these camera images are sent to a small computer. It can be the size of a phone. And this will take in the camera image and create from it a pattern to be posed on the matrix board in the brain. Then right now we still have uh, a, a really a physical connection between a connector that is implanted on the skull of the subject, it can be a monkey, it can be a human. We would like to make this wireless, so there will be a wireless interconnect with a brain chip. And then from the brain chip, there will be several wires running into the brain. So that this is, these are the ones we call electrodes. And so based on the image that the camera captures, there is this brain stimulation pattern that then gives a rudimentary form of vision. So you're not going to see full color, full depth, as normal vision would give you. It's, it's going to be very rudimentary, like you're walking around with this huge matrix board in front of you, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be superb, but it's probably also going to be much better than nothing. Yes, eyesight uh, works. Uh, it starts, of course, all in the retina, and in, in, that's it, at the back of the eye, which is a very, very sophisticated device. So there are large groups uh, of, of researchers that are studying the retina. And then from there, the information is transported to the brain through the optic nerve. And then it, uh, it starts in the cortex, in the first region, primary visual cortex. And there are cells, brain cells, neurons that are selected for fairly simple features of the outside world, say the location and the orientation of an edge of light, whether that's a vertical edge or a horizontal edge. And um, 
So they really do a very local processing. So you have many of these processors and in parallel, so one would be straight ahead, one would be just adjacent, one would be in the upper left corner. For every location in the outside visual world, there is a set of neurons that, that just care about what's going on there. And then if you go to higher regions, then this information of these individual detectors is combined in more and more sophisticated ways. So basically what happens there is that you go from pixels to concepts. And uh, there are now many people modeling this. So there also has been, of course, an artificial intelligence revolution that helped us understand how to go from pixels to concepts. And what these people in artificial intelligence find and how they model this, this process actually is quite a good approximation of what's going on in the human brain. So also in the human brain, you have all these stages that are involved in this translation from pixels into concepts. Now, seeing what the concept in front of you is, whether it's, say, a, a bicycle or, or a chair, that's only one of the functions of vision. It's not the only one. You also uh, can steer your motor behavior and there are other brain areas that, that are involved in that. So they actually localize the edges. So if you want to pick something up, you need to know where your fingers are going to touch the object that you want to pick up. And you know, need to know where it is. You need to know how to position all your um, joints, all your joints. <laughs> and, and so all these transformations, they are also in part informed by vision. So that's another very important uh, role for vision to play. Yeah, so, so one thing that, that is, I think, exciting in this uh, domain is the possibility now to occasionally record also uh, neurons from, from human patients. And some researchers in my lab are doing this. So these are patients who have uh, severe forms of epilepsy. And the uh, neurologist doesn't find the right cocktail to suppress these epileptic attacks. So then the neurosurgeon comes into, uh, into the play. And in some cases, it's obvious what is the problematic region of the brain. But there are some occasional situations where the neurosurgeon isn't 100% sure. And then these patients get a set of electrodes, a set of wires in their brain for about two weeks. And um, we have ethical approval then to attach to these clinical electrodes, very tiny wires. And through those, we can uh, record single neurons. So that was a method that was developed by Isaac Fried several years ago. But <clears throat> that gives you the unique opportunity to also record from brain cells that are tuned to specific individuals. So if you record from these single neurons, you can also do amazing things. So other people, but also in our lab, Sometimes you can, for instance, make associations between stimuli. So suppose that, uh, well, you associate a famous person, say Jennifer Aniston, with another famous person, say Barack Obama. Then we demonstrated that um, if people recall these associations, so you give them a picture of Jennifer Aniston and you ask them to recall what was associated with them, then you have some neurons that only respond to Barack Obama and then they would become active the moment you talk about Jennifer Aniston and ask them to recall this association. So these things are, I'm also very excited about because the neurons that, that code those concepts are often also immediately the concepts that are actually in your consciousness. These are the things you're thinking about. So that gives you a very close um, link to what is really on the subject's mind and what you can see in the activity of neurons, which I find fascinating. 
Yeah, so we are not recreating the eye, so we're just skipping it. So uh, I think that's also why the vision that we are going to produce is, is just much less in quality than, than normal vision. Because we are in, implanting electrodes in the visual brain, and if we stimulate those, we activate a set of neurons that would normally never be activated in that constellation that gives you just a dot of light. And it doesn't uh, give us the possibility to create different colors, for example, because neurons that are selected for different colors are intermingled and you cannot just selectively only activate the green cells or the blue cells or the red cells. So that's why it's somewhat rudimentary. But the challenges, if you kind of realize that you're no, never going to be as good as normal vision, then are to get a good coverage of the visual field because of the nature of the map of the outside world in the brain. Um, you have to realize that the primary visual cortex, which is the first region where the information comes, the visual information is processed in the cortex, is, is huge. It has a surface area of 25 square centimeters on the left and another 25 square centimeters on the right. And to get wires everywhere in that, in that region, which is also quite folded, is going to be challenging. So that's one of the big challenges that we're thinking about, how to make sure that uh, we cover the map with electrodes. If you only cover a small part of the map uh, with electrodes, then the subject is only going to be able to see in a small region of the visual field and will be blind at all, all other locations. So that's quite undesirable. Um, another big challenge is to make an interface with electronics in the brain that is, has a sufficient longevity. So we are now, at the moment, we are using so-called Juta electrode arrays. So these are arrays of stiff silicon um, shanks, we call them. So like, uh, like a bed of nails is basically what it looks like. And we know that they work typically for a year, maybe a little bit longer. But you know, you don't want to implant a patient uh, with a prosthetic device to find out that after one or two years, these electrodes are encapsulated by, by glia cells. So the, basically you, it's fibrosis, fibrous tissue that encapsulates the electrodes and you lose the contact with the, with the nerve cells. So in that case, you cannot efficiently stimulate anymore. So that's another challenge. We have to find electrode materials that have a sufficient longevity so that if, if you implant them today, they will still be working, I'll say in five years or 10 years or even 15 years. I think these are the two major challenges. So I, I get the occasional request and I have to explain to those people who contact me, this is not a clinically approved device, so it's research. And our ambition would be to go to humans in the next, say, two years or maybe a little bit later. Uh, but in that case, it's still going to be research. So don't expect from us in the, in the coming five years a treatment. It's just research. And of course, this research is very important because it's, it's going to help us make the next step and go towards a device that is clinically approved. But before we are there, there are all kinds of regulations which are there for a good reason. And we have to show that we comply with all these regulations. With the technologies we're using now, it's, it's always going to be rudimentary, but I would be very excited if we are able to create a prosthesis that has 
say 1,000 or even 10,000 or even 50,000 pixels, you should realize that your eye has 1 million pixels. So if you count the number of fibers in the optic nerves, it's about 1 million. So 50,000 is what we might aim for at some point. Sounds ambitious, but it's only 5% of, uh, of, of, the, normal, uh, of the normal eye. And, uh, and it's, it, that's going to be challenging. But if I would look back on my career and we would have been able to create a device that has 50,000 pixels and several people are using it and it's catching up, I would be tremendously satisfied about it. Now that's it for this episode of Tales from the Synapse. I'm Jean-Mary Zarte, a senior editor at Nature Neuroscience. The producer was Dom Byrne. Thanks again to Professor Pieter Rolfsema, and thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.